You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to Mountain Bike Radio. Matt from JRA here, and as I cozy up to this X7 dumpster fire, I wanted to remind everyone about the Amazon affiliate link. By going to the show notes and following the link, you will have a normal Amazon shopping experience, but at no extra cost to you, Mountain Bike Radio will receive a kickback. This goes to the day-to-day operations of Mountain Bike Radio, not the host. This keeps Mountain Bike Radio going and the podcast coming. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. God, I don't know. I said hello before it said recording. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mountain Bike. God damn it. <laughs> this is the fifth time I've started a show today. You suck. Hi and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along brought to you by No Trespassing Signs, Kenny Eating Pizza, and Beer. All right, How's so that? It's good. We have an action-packed show this week. Uh, it's going to be packed with action. Um, we are, I don't know, it's getting cold here and things seem to be going pretty normally. Uh, it's winter time. Like the next couple of days are going to be cold, but we had really nice weather for the new year and we've had pretty nice weather since Christmas, honestly. Um, yeah. So I've actually been on the bike a little bit and yeah, it's, it's been cool. I've been all up on that trainer. Yeah. Not me. (laughs) um what's new with kenny let's see i'm no longer in knoxville uh other than that nothing super exciting business as usual uh ton of shit to do (laughs) at the shop as usual i gotta order a bunch of crap and yeah usual usual freaking bike shop stuff uh what else i think that's about it i don't have any like awesome training days or race days or anything like that uh, rode my RKT a little bit more, did some uh, kind of urban stuff, just jumping around off of shit, and it was cool. Urban assault, dude. Urban assault. Yeah, I hate using that word. But. I know. <laughs> I know you do. That's why I said that. <clears throat> but it was good. I love the bike. Uh, no problems with the DI2. I've got something to remind me. Uh, I'll talk about that I'm experiencing with a customer's bike on DI2 that I'm trying to kind of figure out. And it's just kind of a weird thing that I want to put out there into listener land and see if anybody else is experiencing it or see if you know matt or andrea have uh, have seen it but i'll save that for after everybody does the shit that they've done for the week but that's it for me so i have a di2 one as well that we'll cover it's pretty gnarly so uh first thing what's going on with or i guess in what's going on with me uh i guess we recorded last monday and then last tuesday i went out and i rode for almost seven hours on the road and it was super windy and I did like 84 miles with 7,000 feet of climbing in six hours and 45 minutes of like what I would call clock time, you know, so like door to door. And I planned to ride longer than that in miles, but I, I had a couple of places where it was so windy I put a foot down or nearly put a foot down just from not like I ran out of the ability to move forward. Um, and there was actually some places where I was descending and it was high enough and it was cold enough that there was still full blown ice on the road and you could only ride in like the, the tire tracks instead of like the full lane. So 40 mile an hour descending wasn't really an option there. Um, so climbing and descending was slower than I anticipated and, uh, shout out to Jeff listener passes me on the road and I was, I was on like the, the home stretch. I was done climbing for the day and some big guy passes me and I thought it was Will from Feedback Sports and I was like, hold on, you're big, I'm coming with you. And he like skips a pedal kind of and is like, is that Matt? And I was like, yeah, is that Will? And he goes, is that Matt McCulley? I was like, yeah. And he goes, and like lays into the whole, I listen to the show, I recognize your voice and stuff, which was kind of awesome. I mean, I've never... Never really like had that happen. Had people, people definitely recognize your voice more than anyone else. Well, I've had people come in the shop and know who I am, but you know they know where I work from listening to the show. But to just like see me on the road and be like, "Oh, that's Matt. That's that's pretty cool." Um, also, I meant to tell you, but we ran into your buddies. Your rear derailleur had your spent. Like it, it was like tilted inward a little bit. You didn't tell him when you were riding with him. No, like I saw it, and then like we immediately ran into his buddies that he had sort of misplaced on the road. 
And like it, our group of two turned into a group of four. So there was more introductions and stuff. So, and then very quickly after that, like we were at our drop off location where they went one way and I went the other. Um, but then yesterday, uh, I never have, I work with Andy, um, and he's going to be on the show at some point, but Andy and I never get to ride together because every one of like we work every day. The other one is off. So we never have a day off together and we were closed yesterday. So I went out on their big boy ride cause they're getting ready for trans Iowa and it was big. Uh, we, we didn't do a ton of climbing, but we did a, a pretty huge ride and, um, it was, it kind of quickly whittled down to me, Andy, Levi and Andy's buddy, uh, Josh, JP, um, Andy and JP both got into trans Iowa this year and they're, they're both getting ready to race. So I ended up getting in 107 miles with them on yesterday, which was pretty cool. Um, I did do some pausing yesterday, but it was, uh, I guess Strava would tell me my moving time. I could go figure that out real quick, but it was a long day. Um, yeah, they will. What happened with the trespassing sign to make it such a long day? So, and I talked to Ben, and Ben said he has been through this area before without issue, but there's definitely a spot on the Highline Canal Trail in Denver, like down by the Chatfield Reservoir, that is uh, labeled as no trespassing and no bikes. And it very clearly looks like a government-funded bridge that leads into private property, which seems a little uh, bogus. But, uh, sure enough, it says no trespassing, no bikes. So we didn't go that way. And then we had kind of a slog, especially me. I was on the, uh, I want to, I was on the most undergunned bike yesterday. So they all rode cross bikes with 32 or 35 millimeter tires, 35 millimeter tires actually. And I was on my road bike with 26s. So when we were on the, this part of the Highline Canal Trail is pretty sandy and pretty loose. And I was definitely at a disadvantage there. So it kind of felt like bonus miles. Uh huh. But yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the, quite the ride. Um, yeah, I had a, I had fun. So it's a, it's a really good day for me. To get to go that far, I was real happy. What percentage of it was gravel? Um, so we did, and we rode <clears throat> pavement from the REI in downtown Denver over Lookout Mountain, and so ton of pavement. I'd say the first thirty-five miles. I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm going to be bad at this. Most of the first part was pavement. We hit a little bit of dirt. We went over Grapevine Road, which is a very, very nicely manicured dirt road. Uh, but it is in the process of being resurfaced. That that was another one of my setbacks on last Tuesday is I was climbing into the wind on a road that was a gravel road that was actively being resurfaced. Like they were running graders and water trucks and vibrating rollers to re, like smooth and pack the road back in. So uh, that was some like smallest gear on the bike, like digging in, barely moving, climbing. Um, so descending that was a little slower, but then we rode a ton of, of pavement. But once we hit the Chatfield Reservoir, we rode probably three miles of, <coughs> of, uh, what would that be? Like dirt, gravel around to the base of Waterton Canyon. And then we went out and back on Waterton Canyon, which is seven miles each way. And that's all dirt, but they've been doing construction. It's a reservoir, and they've been doing construction at, up Waterton during the week. So, with all the moisture we've had from sand and all the traffic, it was it was like absolutely packed. Um, like I was, I did ninety five percent of the climb in my big ring. It was it was fast. I think we averaged like almost seventeen miles an hour going up it. That's well, crazy. It's a pretty. It's like a mellow climb. It's like a railroad grade climb. I mean, they took a ton of heavy equipment up there to build the bridge or to build the, the reservoir and the dam and all the infrastructure for the dam and to control the water once it left the dam. So it's a very mellow climb until the very end, but we had a tiny bit of tailwind and 
and very smooth road and no one passed us going up or down. Like we were the, we were the freight train going both directions. <laughs> um, if, if we had started a few minutes later, this one chick that was climbing when we were descending probably would have passed us. Or if she had been like kind of close to us when we started, cause she was moving. Uh, but she had on what appeared to be some U23 colors. So she, she's pretty, pretty stout looking. Um, I think I recognize her from the Littleton NRC crit. So she's pretty, uh, she looked like she knew what she was doing for sure. Um, but no, it was great. Uh, so to give you like a full number, I don't know. I bet I rode a hundred and so Strava claims it was 108 miles. I, my Garmin said 107 when I paused it. Um, and I bet, I don't know. So those 15 miles and then Highline Canal. So I bet I rode 25 miles of not pavement, maybe 30 miles of not pavement yesterday. Yeah, so that's a lot. And I did it on uh, Bontrager R3 26 millimeter TLR tires on an Amanda with carbon Bontrager Aeolus wheels. Uh, it was it was something. So you got a carbon bar on that bike? Uh, I do. Yeah, I have a Bontrager carbon bar. It's uh it's very comfortable. Yeah, I've been thinking about a carbon bar for my road bike. I I really like it. Um, if you don't if you don't sprint, like if you're not like a a person who wants to like sprint and attack and just really just like thousand watt torque on the bars, you're gonna like it. That's the only time like. If I get in my drops and I just like all out try to sprint, I can I can feel them move a tiny tiny bit. Not not even in like a sketchy way, but like they move a tiny bit and an alloy bar doesn't, which makes them way more comfortable than an alloy bar the like other ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. So, so that's my advice. I would say the the time the carbon bar is the best is when you're in the drops, loosely holding the drops and just like leaning into them. And the whole drop is just flexing a little bit as you're hitting bumps. Um, Cause if you think about the layup of the bar, it's only going to get thinner past the shifter where the shifter is attached. It doesn't have to be structural there anymore. So you really get the most advantage in the drops. And yeah, I mean they still feel nice on the tops too, the, like on the on the hoods. They're yeah, still a little flex. Yeah, where I was going though is like after the ride I did yesterday, where I mean all those guys are in super shape. Levi, even, um, you know, all. What do you all, mean, Levi? Even well, Levi is listening. He's going <laughs> to claim that like he he said something yesterday about Andy. Like he texted it to me once he was done. Cause I like texted well, Andy him. is, is actually that superhero Samson. Yes. Um, anyways, uh, like, I mean, all those guys like riding really well. And I think we all had our like strengths yesterday. Um, but I don't know where I was going with this. Uh, oh, Levi, all, all these big dudes, like, I feel like I can actually draft them because they're all pretty big. So like being, I spent a ton of time in the drops yesterday and I'm going to, I've been thinking about this, but I'm going to raise the bar on my road bike to make the drops. The I'm going to raise the bar and move the brake levers in to adjust the reach on them and start riding that bike more and more and more in the drops rather than in the tops. Because it just feels way better down there. So I think that's all I can talk about myself. Oh, oh, one other thing. Uh, it came up early in the ride that I'd cut my hair. And then I <laughs> I uh, uh, made the joke that I was going to climb, that I should be climbing without my helmet, like proper Euro trash. And then we smashed the whole climb. And like at the bottom of Waterton, I put my helmet on my handlebars, like a Euro trash. <laughs> pro wood and then we went really fast and i was like man if i'd realized we were gonna go this fast i might have left my helmet on but yeah it's all right if you wear a pro kit and you climb waterton canyon it's... on the full-blown road bike with no helmet <laughs> look taylor finney came in the shop wearing nothing but a denim cap from freaking goodwill so and a rafa kit like rafa kit bmc leg warmers like giro shoes 
I don't know if they were like regular available colors or not. They were like just black and white, but I don't know if it was like an odd black and white pattern that's not available to everyone else. And seriously, just like this, like something your dad would have denim cap. He's got his own style and flavor. <laughs> um, but well, where was I going with that? I don't remember. You you rode without a helmet for a, oh, a hot minute. But, you know, um, I'd say on the road, my number one reason for wearing a helmet is for when I get hit by a car. Water canyons close to cars. So. And you guys were riding, like I saw the picture, you're you're riding like with a good six foot perimeter around your bikes no, with it, each other. Like you weren't going to run into each other. No, no. It ended up lined up. Like, oh, well. I, I was, mean, I, I kind of shot my wad going up you, water. You guys know, you guys know what you're doing. You weren't like riding with a bunch of triathletes or any shit like that. You got it. Um, yeah. What's new with you? God, I need to quit clicking that pen. I'm sorry if you can if you if you've been hearing this noise, that's me. I'm real sorry. What are you doing, Andrea? Anything oh, cool is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. Oh, um, I'm cooking black eyed peas and collard greens, or collard greens as my grandmother calls them. Um. I haven't really been doing a lot other than I started the trainer road program. I already talked about that. I've been uh, like blowing through those workouts and they've all done, they've all been really, really good. Um, oh man, I was organizing spokes. This is like, so the shop is so slow right now that I am preparing our spokes for inventory. And I think what happened was when this shop was first opened, when it was like cutting edge sports, which was like two different shops ago from what it is now. Um, I think all of the spokes were purchased and then they labeled some tubes and just started throwing spokes into the tubes all willy nilly. Um, because every tube has not just the size it's labeled for. And not only are they not just the size they're labeled, they're also different budding profiles. Like the 266 millimeter spokes, there were literally six different 266 millimeter spokes in one tube that was like packed full, like hundreds of spokes. This is like, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of spokes all mixed up and I'm sorting all of them by size. Like there were literally, there were straight gauge 2.0, straight gauge 1.8, budded 1.8 to 1.6, budded 2.0 to 1.8, budded 2.0 to 1.7, and budded 2.0 to 1.5. How much weed candy did you have to eat today to sort those out? <laughs> I was sitting there, sorry, I didn't have any weed. I, I was totally sober. And I was sitting there thinking, you know what? If the spokes could spontaneously sort themselves, I would let Amanda Nunez punch me in the face once and only once. Because that's all it would take. <laughs> but really, like if I could just be like, okay, yes, punch me in the face once and the, so the spokes would just magically be fixed, I would let that happen. That was the highlight of my week. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're if you're a mechanic and you're working in a shop and you fuck up the spoke inventory by just like like oh this isn't the spoke I needed and you just kind of like put it back wherever fuck you that's that's just don't do that or I'll punch you in the face. All right, so what's your <laughs> DI two stuff, Kenny? Uh, okay, so <clears throat> I've got a customer who has a. Um, We'll leave names and stuff out of it. But anyway, we've got a 7 Titanium with uh, its drop bar 785 shifters with an XTR rear derailleur, internal battery, and XTR display. And it has an issue under if you hold down the shifter to rapid shifting, which I really hate that feature anyway. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world because... I mean, fuck, just click the button really fast, and it shifts as fast as you want it to. And then you know exactly how many times you shifted because you felt and heard it click. As opposed to just, like, holding it down, and it just, like, starts rifling through gears. And if you're not pedaling fast enough, it just, like, rips shit off the bike. And Wait, this is a road bike terrible. or a mountain bike? 
it's an evergreen, so it is a uh, gravel bike. Okay. It's road, a one by drop bar. Okay. Road one by drop clutch derailleur. Uh, yeah. And the issue is, this person rides in all weather, and at around somewhere in the thirty to forty degree ballpark, it will no longer rapid fire shift. It will not allow it to do it. Huh. Called Shimano, and they told me the usual story of. That's very interesting. I've never heard of that before. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's – I doubt you've never heard of that before. But they probably just don't have a fix for it. And I think what's happening is just the nature of lithium batteries. They get very upset when it's cold out, and they have a little bit harder time cranking out current. So I think what's happening is you're getting a little bit more uh, voltage drop than you normally would on that first shift, and there's not enough to – like it, it throws the – system into like a real quick limp mode i think where it just won't it just can't continue doing what it was doing because it doesn't have the energy that it needs and the battery's charged all that's fine but i think it has to do it's definitely a cold weather dependent thing so i don't know if it's derailleur related or battery related or what could even be shifter related could be a connection but i don't think it's any of that stuff i really really think it has something to do with the battery itself uh so anyway it's just something that I wanted to throw out there and see if anybody else had any cold weather shifting issues. And I know they've tested the hell out of this stuff. I mean, people race cross on it. Uh, I, I mean, surely, I haven't really Googled for it, to be honest, but I was just curious if anybody else has heard of through the grapevine or if you guys personally have had complaints of customers not being able to rapid-fire shift. And he's, he's still able to I, shift. I mean, I've got uh, – I'm sure Matt has a bunch too. I mean, people – there. we have a – you know, there are definitely like some core people that – that ride here when it's like super cold and I've, I've never heard anyone complain about that. I don't know if they've tried to do it or not, but I don't have, I was, I'm actually like really blown away that that's a problem because we've had, we have so many people on that stuff. We have a very, um, affluent customer base, I guess you could say. And we've had no issues really. Yeah. You don't hear about like if, if it did that, I think cyclocross racers would would raise – they would, like, burn Shimano down. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So there really might be an underlying problem. I don't know. I've not been able to personally reproduce it because, well, it's difficult to get those conditions in Memphis and then me be able to actually hop on the bike and try it. And, you know, the bike probably has to be sitting outside in the cold for a while for, like, the whole thing to get cold enough for it to do it. So I'm sure if I take it from, like, a warm shop out to cold weather, it's probably not really going to do it. Oh, you so, should just roll it next door to the Pizza Hut and see if you can park it in their walk-in fridge for a little while. Yeah, yeah, and I walk in there later and it's gone. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I could just take the seat post and battery out and put it in the freezer for a few hours and like let it really cool down and then try it. So I'm going to try that probably tomorrow or the next day, uh, see if that does anything. And also, for what it's worth, the only kind of modification, if you will, from factory is the rapid-fire shifting was set on one baby step higher than normal. Uh, it was set on fast. I think there's like fast and then like faster and fastest or something like that. But anyway, it was one baby step above the factory configuration. So maybe that had something to do with it as well. Uh, so I bumped that back down to normal and we'll just have to kind of wait for another cold day. But anyway, I just want to pass that along that I have had that issue and Shimano was kind of unresponsive about it. Now it's kind of pissing me off that they're not more intrigued like, oh, shoot, let's – Let's really dig into this and figure out what's up there. Basically, just like, oh, I doubt you're having that problem. So that kind of pisses me off. Yeah, I love it when you call them, like when you are the line of defense between them and the customer, and then the answer is just like, yeah, probably not. You're like, definitely so. Like, I didn't just call you with some fabricated problem because... I wanted to like, yeah, I don't know why they think I would do that. It's like, look, the last fucking thing I want to do in the world is like redo somebody's whole DI two setup. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and the next to last thing I want to do in the world is call Shimano warranty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, I'm gonna have to call them. I tried calling them today, but the bike industry is a bunch of, you know, lazy assholes. And of course they're closed. Well, I can explain why they're closed today pretty quickly, but it's still garbage. Yeah, I, I can too. I, it's super easy to explain <laughs> because it's the bike industry and they can. No, it's, it's like, because... oh, well, it's like, it's pretty, it's, is it Friday? Well, it's like Thursday, but I don't know. Friday's coming up pretty soon and we're going to do that like trip. I don't know. Just put on the, 
put on the phone message that we're going to be out of the office. It's fine. No, it's because the holiday fell on a weekend, but getting that weekend as a paid vacation day or getting that holiday as a paid vacation day is part of their like package. So they award that on the nearest day of business. So if it's a Saturday holiday, it's on Friday. And if it's a Sunday holiday, it's on Monday. Because they're already entitled to that like paid day off. Yeah. Well, regardless, in general, the bike industry is pretty bad about just not ever being in the office. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, no bike shop is closed. Well, there are very few bike shops that are closed on Saturdays, yet no companies are open on Saturdays for you to call. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. We've all gotten used to it, but it's just a little pet peeve of mine that it bugs me that these pretty damn big companies are freaking closed, you know. I understand, whatever, if Wolf 2 Components is not open on a Saturday or whatever, that's not a problem. But come on, fucking Shimano, you are literally the biggest name in cycling, and you're closed. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, uh, it's just annoying because I'm trying to solve this problem, and like I just had to wait yet another day right, while like, I've got the bike in front of me ready to go, and I want to troubleshoot the thing. It's got one other weird issue, too. It wants to update firmware on the rear derailleur, but it will not let me. It's got a checkbox, and like you cannot check it or do anything. It let me update other pieces of the system because when I plugged it in, I think, well, well, let me just update the whole thing. Maybe there's a maybe it'll just kind of ma- magically fix itself. But it would not let me update the rear derailleur. Everything else updated, and then the rear derailleur just sat there and wouldn't do anything. So there could be some underlying issue did, there. I did have no Shimano have any any reason for that happening? I would try to call him. I don't know. Oh, okay. I thought you might have like. <laughs> Brought they're that fucking up. Close. No, no I thought you might have brought today, that so. up previously when you called and just gave them your problem, and they were like, "Oh no, that's not a problem." No, see, the deal was this problem was brought up like eight months ago oh. or something about the cold weather shifting. But we just kind of, you know, it then got it got warm. Inside. <laughs> yeah, it got warmer, and then now we're back to the problem coming back up again. So the customers got the bike in, and we're trying to figure out what's up. So yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting little. Maybe it's a yeah, rear derailleur too, problem. Too, you never know. Very well could be. Very, very well could be. I would definitely pin it on the battery. That would be my guess. Yeah, but, yeah. That makes more sense being temperature sensitive. But Or it might just be that the system cannot support rapid fire shifting at a higher speed than normal when it's super cold out. And maybe just so many people never fiddle with that setting yeah. that it doesn't come up. I have no idea. So we will or, find out. Or whatever in the rear derailleur won't let it update is not letting it do other things as well did you say this is ultegra or no it's xtr oh xtr oh an xtr that's right you said a clutch derailleur yeah okay i was gonna say because like both of the shop managers have um ultegra di2 bikes so i could like try to check like fiddle with the shifting speed on those two not that those guys would ever ride when it's really cold outside but they have those bikes i could at least like you know Try to make one cold and see if I can reproduce the problem. And maybe not enough people have this particular setup with the, I don't know why it would matter because in theory, a switch is a switch. Yeah. But maybe there's this weird incompatibility that they haven't really figured out yet, uh, you know, with the XTR rear derailleur and the drop bar shifters. I don't know. Um, so I'll explore that. I'll let you guys know if I find anything out in the next week. So remind me uh, next week and I'll let you know what I find out. Cool. Um, so I have some weird DI2 stuff. If you get the new Trek carbon stash, you cannot put DI2 on it without breaking out the soldering gun. So there's that. If you're thinking about getting a new stash nine point something and putting XDR or XTDI2 on it, be prepared to solder some crap together. Mm. What do you mean? Sounds like you should just go ahead and use some SRAM. Well, uh, so yeah, SRAM, SRAM road stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, so, that Eagle tap that's not out. Yeah. Eagle tap's not out yet. Um, no, it is a full run internal cable housing that enters the head tube right by the, or enters the top tube right by the head tube. Yep. And it is fully ported all the way or tunneled all the way out of the chainstay. And DI2 or E tube connectors are larger than shift housing so it won't fit through there 
All right, so does it have internally run hydraulic lines? Uh, they're, they're ported or tunneled as well. And oh, they, they are? Go, okay. But they, when I say fully tunneled, like maybe you could piggyback it on the hydro line somehow, but then it'd be on the wrong side of the rear wheel. Uh, what I've done on a road bike uh, that, has, that I had to put DI2 on, it had an internally run brake line. And you could actually, because that port is big enough, you could first run the DI2 wire through it, and then you run the brake cable behind it, and it all fits in there. No, Kenny, the, to get to exit the chainstay, uh, let me describe this differently. You could like... Well, like, I went, sorry, I went in the head tube, and then you, and then I was able to go out on the where I needed to. But no, no, I was no. able to get into the head tube. No, it's like a solid Yeah, it's like a you solid could drop tunnel. a ball bearing into it, and it would come out where it's supposed to. Yes, yes. So obviously, in your case, it won't work. So what we did is we got a really long wire and then cut it and soldered it back together after routing it. Cool. And then the battery pack is in the head tube or in the steer tube. And the junction box is on the bar like normal. What does so, that cable look like? Did you see it? Is it coaxial cable? Like where it's got, is it conductor side by side, like, you know, speaker cable? Or is it coaxial where like the ground is, you know, all the way around the cable and then it has like a smaller inner cable inside of that? No, it's standard two wire cable. Interesting. Because like, uh, it looks like it would be coaxial if you look at it because the connector is actually, actually coaxial. So it's got, you know, the outer ring, which is like, you know, ground, let's say, and then the small little pokey guy in the middle. It kind of looks like maybe that would continue all the way down the cable. I've just never cut one open, so I have no idea. Nope. It's standard, just like your headphones on your on your head right now. It's just oh, normal, that, normal cool. shit. It's actually like really simple. So. So, yeah, there's that. Um, you can do it. You just got to you got to be ready to do some soldering. So there's that. But. Um, yeah, which is a little bit disappointing because I don't know, it's 2017. You think bikes would be DI2 compatible after my ride yesterday, my dream bike is like ETAP mechanical Wi-Fi ETAP mechanical. Yeah. ETAP. With mechanical brakes. Oh, okay. Why fly like long cage rear derailleur? Okay, or that makes more sense now. I thought you versus like you're ETAP saying... hydro. I don't want hydro. I want ETAP. I like, just mechanical. Yeah, what I want to have is my dream setup is X7 mechanical, and then you have a, ser- a servo motor that's driven by a wireless shifter that that pushes on the actual X7 brake lever. <laughs> <laughs> or the the actual sorry the X7 shifter lever. Like it doesn't even move the cable. It actually moves the actual shifter. Yeah, it actually pushes <laughs> the shifter with like a little <laughs> with a servo. <laughs> no, I mean, I was just saying that cuz like yesterday my ride was really good, but you know, my bike is my bike's super light, but it's rim brake and I'm kind of limited on tire size and I feel like if I had like a uh, like a carbon warbird or something like that, you know, that's going to be a little bit heavier frame than what I have now. You have then, carbon rim brake wheels. I do. Yeah. On your Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. What? what? Ugh. They're, they're, uh, Aeolus threes. They're tubeless ready and they're like 1300 grams. They're sick as shit. Does it have a carbon brake track or is it aluminum? It has a carbon, carbon brake track. Dude, you don't understand. I just don't use my brakes that much here. My descending speed is limited by how skinny I am and how I don't have like like the wind gets me and I just get slowed down. Like like I get stuck behind cars descending and get mad about it. Yeah, that's good. You should get mad. I definitely on 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 uh what's that? Flagstaff. Flagstaff is a pretty technical descent. And it never fails every time I'm riding like back from Walker Ranch or something, which means you have to climb. So like there's a, there's basically, there's this ride you can do from the shop called Super Walker in Boulder, where you climb this like pretty heinous road climb and you go over the top and you descend about 500 feet to the trail. You do the loop of the trail 
And then you have to climb like 500 feet back up to the top. And then you just do this like technical descent on the road back down. And it never fails. Like one or two cars will pass me like right at the top on the way back. And then I catch them on the way down within like a minute or two. And they won't let me get back back by. Damn cars. (laughs) Always just clogging up the road, getting in my way. You got it. Cars. Um, But no, I was going to say like a carbon warbird or something. And then save some weight back out. By going from like Altegra to ETAP, that would be that'd be really sick. Um, man, I still that'd be- can't believe I cannot believe you run carbon brake track rims. That's just I do the same thing. It's not. It's fine. That is that is so triathlete of you. No, it's not. Ugh, it's disgusting. You're never going to change my mind. Do we have any listener questions? Oh my gosh. Uh, do we ever? Yeah. There's yeah, we should probably we should probably do that, and, and we should stop talking about try shit. <laughs> Jesus, you crumpy crumps! Um, I'm I'm curmudgeonly, but I'm curmudgeonly with old technology that's shitty, not the other way around that people are usually curmudgeonly about. I'm not like I missed my cantilever brakes; they were so easy to set up. <laughs> I'm like for, no, for what like, it's worth like on my on my uh, on my Boone, which is now my like road and cross bike depending on what wheels I put on it. Um, I have, I put V brakes on it because they have, they're just better than, I think they're better than cantilever brakes, unless you're going to be in the mud. So I, I like them. They work real well. I've got nothing against a good set of V brakes. They <laughs> they're not even that good. They're like, they're, they're like $8 cost a piece V brakes. <laughs> as long as they don't say Tektro on them, I'm good. <laughs> okay these are definitely texture mini brakes <laughs> well you know uh, Q- qbp what? was out of stock of the good trp ones and oh I- trp that's what i meant to say sorry trp oh, the trp the, the trp like the ones that have the correct pull for like road bike brakes that's what i'm talking about yeah there's some uh, oh they're just they are horrendous. What they are you guys are, doing over there? You guys have the shittiest look, shit. God damn it. They're better than uh, the $8 ones that I have. They're they're probably better than those, but they also don't cost $8 a piece. I have like, the, the BMX Mini Vs from Tektro. The Cannondale branded Pro Maxes are better than the like $3,000 TRPs. These <laughs> things are so shitty. <laughs> I've had those before. They work. God, I hope TRP is listening. I remember I've like had to pull fucking bushings out of those things because they're like locked up and they're there's like amazing, amazingly expensive brakes. And they look nice, but fuck, they don't work for shit. Oh my <laughs> god, they're so bad. All right, maybe we should get to listener questions. God, I want a guy from TRP to call me and tell me that I'm not setting him up right so I can go tell him to fuck himself. <laughs> I mean, you kind of just did, so he probably won't call. Man, like those breaks instill my deepest anger. Let me, let me, <laughs> obviously, you, I'm gonna make you one level angrier. I'm running the Bontrager wheels with cork pads. Why would you use cork pads? Uh, they make the least amount of noise and they have the most predictable amount of modulation in the beginning of the stroke. Like like power meter cork or like wine stopper cork? Like wine stopper. Like the worst carbon brake pads you can possibly own. That's what Matt's <laughs> using. I gotcha. Yeah. You might as well use wood. <laughs> or your foot. Yeah. I, it'd be more effective just to, you know, just to you know, jam your arm into your front wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, should we do the listener question that's going to lead into something like a, a little bit of a tangent um, first? I have do a tangent have- to go on to. Okay. Then go. Okay. Um, this was sent to us on Slack. So if you're a member of Mountain Bike Radio, um, you get to get on Slack, which is a little chat program. Uh, if you're a member that contributes over $10 a month or $100 a year. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't know the uh, exact yeah, specification. You got to know, know the deets if you're going to spout them. Sorry. Well, I'm sure they would have figured it out anyway. Um, this gentleman 
Um, sorry, I'm trying to find his name. That's not just his username. Hover over his name. And Jeff name. Gannon. Um, from Slack, he bought a Crave. Um, Matt helped him a little bit with the pricing on it. Hashtag Crave Nation. Hashtag Crave Mafia. Um, he bought this Crave. He put it together and he shot a picture of it, leaned up against his vehicle, um, which is an SUV of some sort. And he says, hey, yeah, I'm going to say y'all. Hey, y'all, I just finished a 1x10 build of a 2015 Crave. I'm running a RS RockShox Recon 100mm fork and fairly wide bars. He doesn't say how wide, but just fairly wide. My question is, I don't really know where to set my bars. Is there some info that will clue me in on what changes to the bars will do what to the handling? I could just start moving things, but I would like to have the basics before I start dialing it in. All right, and I'm going to post this picture with the show notes, but uh, I'm going to cover two things first. First thing, not just any old SUV, a blazer. Okay. <laughs> so, I couldn't read it. Like I didn't make the picture bigger, I, so I couldn't. I zoomed in on her. Okay. Uh, like, so a, the, like a 1990s blazer? Uh, no, no, no. Like no, it's not like an OJ blazer. blazer. So... It's a that generation a or two after OJ. That was a Bronco. What are you a blazer. Ta- what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. OJ, OJ was in a Bronco, man. Yeah, he was in a white Bronco. This it's is a the, white Aren't they blazer. the same thing? I mean, That's a Chevy. Chevy Blazer, Ford Bronco. Oh, come on. <laughs> Killing me. You guys are too busy with your carbon rims over there to know anything about cars. Yeah. I know that this is not a Bronco. You can't even take the top off this. Um, I mean, you can. <laughs> yes, it just takes a saw. It's not designed to be removable. Uh, second thing, put some bar ends in. Yeah. Bar end plugs. Naked handlebar ends are terrible. Don't run those. Super fucking bad. I just, somebody locally here got freaking gored. And gored? It was, it was bad. Oh, it was super man. bad. Like major hospital, like surgery bad. Yeah. He is um, running the Ardent Icon combo that we don't. Tell do not fucking play around with open bars. It is ridiculously bad idea Ooh, tell us after the show who it was okay um the <laughs> second first thing is uh you should run your shift so uh, again if this doesn't make sense go to the show notes and look um on your right hand side of the handlebars the shift cable and the brake cable are leaving from the same position they're both leaving from the same place on the handlebar and you should run the shift cable around the head tube and go in on the non-drive side. Yeah. And yeah. then what you'll do It'll is smooth. that cable guide has positions for three cables on it in case you have a front derailleur. And on the we're gonna enable number the cable stops from the head tube towards the seat tube is one, two, three. On the first cable stop, you'll put both cables in the most non-drive side position and it helps it not rub on the head tube as bad and then in the second and third position you'll put the brake housing on the most non-drive side and the shift housing on the center position and that'll make the cable routing much smoother and when you do that you can make the shift housing and the brake housing follow like the exact same line and it looks super clean super pro Uh, so that's because what's going to happen right here in this photo is his shift housing is going to wear his upper, like the crown of his fork is going to get yeah, all destroyed. Yeah, yeah, he's going to get housing. like a little shift. And you could probably clean the length of your cables up a little bit, but I don't know how put together the bike is here, so I'm not going to like yeah, that's, I just, bitch at him about it. I just wanted to let him know that like you can route it the other way and it'll never rub. And yeah. it looks like, like way better, a good bit cleaner. So Every time you can run a brake line and a shift like housing together. It just looks really nice. Um, as far as where your handlebars go, I don't know. They don't look in this picture. They don't look, um, they don't look like they're in a bad position or a weird position. Um, the brake levers might be a little like parallel to the ground, but I mean, not really. Is he concerned about handlebar height? Is that what he's talking about? Like how much rise or drop he's running? I think um, it's just general. Where do they go? Yeah, he just says he doesn't really know where to set his bars. 
Um, well, Jeff, they're in a pretty, they fall within the realm of pretty normal. I would say like, if that's your seat height, um, your bars are in a very neutral position. They're maybe a tiny bit high if you were like a cross country racer. Um, but certainly not like you're not like riding a cruiser bike or anything where your, your hands are a foot above your seat. Um, you just kind of have to play with it. That would be my advice. Play with it and see what feels good. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kenny got it. Um, that kind of leads me into a tangent I wanted to get into that I, my inspiration is my shoes. Um, okay. Is this a masturbation tangent? Uh, no, it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> don't sound so disappointed, Kenny. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, damn. Well, I'm going to go eat some more pizza. <laughs> um, no, so... When I was a kid, um, and my mom used to get a little bit frustrated with me because when we would go to buy shoes, um, I didn't want my shoes to touch my feet. Like they could just barely touch my my feet could barely touch the inside of my shoes, and I was very or else I was very uncomfortable and very like I wouldn't wear them. And my mom always said, you know, oh, that's something I'll grow out of. I'm just a weird kid. Well, turns out. I still don't like my feet to touch the insides of my shoes. Um, it's not so bad for like my normal everyday shoes. I definitely, I cannot wear like women's dress shoes. You're just never going to catch me wearing those. Like it's just never going to happen. Like something that forces my toe into a point or anything that's not foot shaped. That's just not, that's not happening. Like my foot's not going to be in there for more than like a minute. Um, but like cycling shoes. I wear my shoes so loose that I'm like one buckle ratchet away from being able to slip my foot in and out of my shoe. And I, it's been like that since I started riding bike. Like I can't, if, if I tighten them more than that, I have literal foot pain. Like my feet will start to hurt and it's so uncomfortable that I'll like ride funny and make the rest of my body hurt. You got to be careful. If you're running that loose and you hit an armadillo, you might blow out of one of your shoes. And I did, like that happened one time. Kenny and I were on a, a night ride and I hit an armadillo and I pulled my shoe, my foot out of my shoe. Like that's how loose my shoes are. <laughs> and, but it works. Like, I mean, come at me. Like I've probably won more races than most of our listeners have. So no one can tell me that easy I'm, that I'm doing it. Well, that's a, like that. That's getting me into like this. This, this tangent, um, sometimes people do weird things with their bike and their equipment, but they're so successful that you can't give them shit about it. Um, the main thing that comes to mind, like another weird thing is, uh, what's that guy's last name? How do you pronounce it? Uh, it's cool. Hobby. Cool. Hobby. Um, he's a, you know, he's a professional cross country racer for, Specialized. He's won. I can't remember if he's done Olympic top three medals, in Olympics World Cups, or Worlds. No, like World Championships or Olympics. But yeah. he's done really well. Yeah, like he is currently one of the five fastest cross country riders in the world. Like, so he is the shit. So he posted. Um, I, I got a really good screenshot. We'll post with the show. Um, he did like his his end of the year like best nine photos. One of his is of his bike. And his saddle is literally like clamped at the front bend of the rails and pointed down at probably 30 degrees, like 30 degrees nose down clamped at the front of the rails. But who the hell is going to tell that guy that that's wrong? I think he does it because he runs like two feet of drop. <laughs> he does have it. Is, it is bonkers. He has a, but it's not, it's not actually like an odd for a, for a reasonably tall cross country racer, that's not a he doesn't have an excessive amount of drop. Like it there are insane. other there are other people that have his amount of drop that don't do that to their saddle. Like it might be people. it might be a foot of drop. He's the guy <laughs> that I hate that they build frames around because they have head tubes on a twenty nine er that are like one inch tall. <laughs> um we had some other 
good examples from the road world. Like, uh, so, and it's, you know, it's not always just bike fit. You know, it's like my shoes. It's like, um, Jake, Jake Davidson, super fan, Jake. Uh, he said, uh, Hanson's road bars. So how is, um, how tall is so Adam Hansen? He is he's ridden for Lotto, Lotto Jumbo, and now Lotto Sedul. So he's a he's a professional road racer. That's a sprinter. Com- he's a sprinter that's completed thirteen Grand Tours in a row consecutively. He has finished every stage. Every he's ridden every kilometer of every stage for thirteen Grand Tours consecutively. Um, he is he builds his own custom shoes. And he's 6'1". He rides a 38-millimeter outside-to-outside, 36-millimeter center-to-center bar. Centimeter. He said millimeter. Oh, well. (laughs) Um, And he runs 17 centimeters of drop, which... So that's a good bit of drop. Maxing out, I ran like nine at one point. I'm I'm down to like three at this point. Yeah. Um, Nine centimeters, you said? I did at one point, yeah. But yeah, so uh, a six-foot-one dude running a 36-centimeter bar, that's, I mean, that's a bar that most really small people, like the only person I know that runs a bar that small is a dude who's like 5'3", and he even, like, agrees that he is pocket-sized. Like, he, that's that's a bar that not all bars come in that size because it's so small. So that's yeah. Usually, don't see anything much narrower than like thirty-eight or forty. Yeah. So who's going to tell Adam Hansen though that he is screwing up by running narrow bars? Like I just, I'm kind of fascinated by some of the like weird outliers of. uh, Oh yeah, I asked Steve. So one of my uh, one of the shop owners, uh, he was a World Cup downhill mechanic for a while. He said, uh, I asked him kind of the same question. Like, have you seen anything that's just an outlier of someone who's really good. And he couldn't remember which rider it was, but someone cut their bar a quarter inch shorter on one side from the stint. Like if you measure from the middle of the bar to, to one side, it's a quarter inch shorter than on the other side. Um, he also said that Aaron Gwynn runs a, like the coil on his downhill bike. The, the rear shot coil is, is like insanely hard. Like it's a super, super, heavy Burn. coil like yeah like a, a way like something way bigger than for his weight person um so that's i thought was kind of interesting at least back when he was a world cup mechanic that's what aaron Gwynn did i don't know if that's still the case oh it's totally the same thing it happens in MotoGP. i read some cool articles about some of the pros swapping bikes and they'll try to ride one of these other i mean these are the fastest guys in the world yeah and you know, they can set their bike up any way they want and they have, you know, you might have a result where these guys, the entire race are one bike length away from each other. Yeah. And they swap bikes and they like, can't even ride them. (laughs) You know, they just, they're so different that they don't understand like how in the world (laughs) that person, you know, rode the suspension or whatever, or, you know, where the controls are, whatever set up the way they do. And I just thought that was really funny. It'd be like you and I, our slight height difference aside, like, if we try to ride one another's bikes, like your head would just explode if you try to ride my bike. Oh I'm yeah. Sure. Um, Emily Batty is another good one. Um, I mean, I understand like the front end of her bike is set up with on, on like her 29 er it's set up with a super negative stem, which, and like, there's no top cap on the headset. And that's just because the front end is kind of tall. Well, it's because she's five foot one or something yeah, or whatever yeah. she is. But her saddle is like, it's, it's like the opposite clamp position of Kohlhavi's. It's like clamped on the back bend of the rails. It's not nose up or, you know, it's pretty neutral. It's maybe a tiny bit nose down, but you know, every picture of her bike that you see, it's, it's clamped in the, the very, very, very back of the saddle rails. And then she's got, you know, like the, her handlebars are like, even with her head, like the top of her head tube, but she's awesome. So, you know, that works for her. Um, but that was kind of the point I wanted to, uh, just going full circle here back to Jeff's question. Um, you know, you're, you're in a pretty normal position now, but if you keep riding consistently and you feel like you're 
body wants to just be in a different, especially once you start to get tired. I don't mean like just riding down the street. I mean like hour three or four when stuff is really getting worn out and tired. If you feel like your body wants to be in a different position, put your bike in that position. Like if you keep lifting your butt like a two millimeters off of the saddle or always like scooting back a tiny bit or something, move your saddle two millimeters. You know, like if you are always moving your hands to a different spot on the bars as you get tired, like put the bars in that spot. Like that's, that's just what I'm saying. That's probably how these people came to like their weird bike setup type things. Like these weird, like kind of anomaly anomalies and outliers is, you know, at some point their body wanted to be in that spot. So that's where they put their bike. The best thing you can do is trust yourself. And so many people are scared about trusting themselves because everybody has different flexibility. Everybody has a different expectation on how the front end of a bike should handle. I mean, it's all different. Don't get me wrong. There are general rules of thumb where, you know, if you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, we could point you in the right direction, but don't be scared to mess with shit. And just like Andrea is saying, when you get tired, your hands are going to move to a certain position. Um, if you get on your bike and you just feel like you're wiggling around, think about where you're wiggling and like why you're doing it. Are you like moving your butt forward? Like, what are you doing? Just think about that stuff. People always People want to just go throw money at somebody to fix all their problems, and sometimes that works. But just think about what's happening. It's as easy as that. It's super-duper easy, and people are scared about doing it for some reason. And I think some of the worst people are the people that are actually comfortable, and then they go want to change everything. And hey, that's fine. If you really want to experiment, it's great to experiment because you can learn. But the people that want to change stuff just for the sake of changing things because they think that somehow makes them better. Like they're looking for, they're like looking for extra speed in places where it doesn't exist. You know, it's like, look, are you comfortable? Can you handle your bike? Is it all good? Then don't fuck with it. Yeah. Um, I mean like if on every single climb you feel like your front wheel wants to come off the ground on your cross country hardtail, put your bars down a spacer or like ditch the riser bar, like go for a flat bar or bend your elbows. Yeah. I mean it, that that helps too, but like to a degree, just lowering your bars a spacer helps even more. No, no, but I mean, if you bend your elbows and you're like, put your face closer to your bar. Yeah, and like ten minutes later in the climb, you're like, this is really uncomfortable. Then lower, like your body is uncomfortable bending and scrunching. Then lower your bars. Yeah. But if you're like, wow, this is really uncomfortable. I don't like my butt in this position when I bend down then you can't bend down, you know? Yeah. That's usually like, that's, that's like the balance. And I, I didn't really pay attention to bar height that much on like shorter travel bikes. When I started riding, um, anything longer travel, like when I got the Mach six, that's where I could really, really, really tell a difference between, um, like one spacer, like positioning of my bars, like one spacer up, one spacer down, like, it definitely feels better descending uh, with the bars just a teeny bit higher, like, you know, about even with the saddle or maybe just a little above, but it climbs way, way better with the bars lower because, you know, it's just a naturally like more weight, the front end, because it's a very slack head tube angle, the front end wants to be off of the ground when you're going uphill. So, you know, the lower the bars are, the little bit more weight you have on the front end. So it's just easier to handle going uphill and it still goes downhill like, you know, a bat out of hell. So, you know, it's not a big deal to to change that spacer around. Maybe if I was going to like the bike park or something, I'd change it. But I, I went to the bike park like once last year and I didn't change it. And it was fun. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's like a few little guidelines like that that can help you with your handlebar placement. but you know, for the most part, just, you know, try, try stuff, you know, especially when you're tired, pay attention to what your body wants to do when you're tired and then put your bike in that spot. Boom. We can keep going now. Um, actually, I don't know. Uh, we should go through like our donations and call it a show. It's been pretty long winded so far. All right. Oh, that's not where the, 
those are. How right many here. questions do we have besides that one? Oh boy. What? We're not going to worry about those today. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's two that I can answer really quickly. So there was a uh, let's see. There was one from Jason C. He asked, "What was our suspension setup episode?" And he's like, "I know Matt's going to grumble and say." I don't know which episode it was because we don't number them. I don't. Uh, the Engineers <laughs> Corner is doing a really good um, suspension series now, so you should listen to that. That's going to be way more informative than we can ever be. Um, and then Jay Cable sends in a question saying that cheap fat bikes, uh, often the downfall is their free hub. Well, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, my free hub on my pretty expensive Trek is already trying to trying to crap the bed yeah the uh the free hub on the demo fat bike from my shop i've been i think maybe one other person has taken that one out once possibly i've ridden it twice and on the second ride actually i think on the first ride even it it would like occasionally clunk like it was skipping a tooth or something yep but his his final thing is so larger folks or folks who don't have nice smooth pedal strokes should maybe consider buying from the local bike shop rather than online, given they have a pretty fair chance of the hubs showing up or hubs blowing up and your local bike shop will be quicker to sort out any issues. The bikes direct in particular have a bad reputation, but so do the low end models from Fatback 907 and Salsa Surly. And we just added in Trek and Specialized. Anyways, just thought I love your show guys. Thanks for doing it. JC in Fairbanks, Alaska. A man that probably knows a thing or two about a bike with a fat tire on it. Um, but then we wanted to cover those donations. I know we got some. I'm just bumbling around. Um, Michael A. of Texas sent in 25 doll hairs. Fred McGill of Michigan with a note of Merry Christmas. Also $25. Jesse B. of Maine. Ten dollars. Uh, note says, "Love the show. Keep it up. Merry Christmas, JRA." And then Alex Z of PA sent in a cool Benjamin. Damn. Happy belated holiday of choice. So, boom. Right. Ballin. Yeah, uh, and we have some questions. A lot of them are pretty. I don't want to say they're pretty simple, like, but they're things we've discussed a lot. It's just, hey, reaffirm my idea that this is what i want um if you so yeah if you, have you can hit us up on twitter like if we don't answer your question and you're getting impatient um go to the jra show on twitter and just tweet to us someone will answer or you can tweet to us individually the the handles are in the show notes like you can do that too um you know if you don't like matt's advice ever but you love my advice then just tweet to me yeah. Or Kenny. And if you have any questions, you can send them in, jra at mountainbikeradio.com. If you want to support Mountain Bike Radio and keep what you have just heard, keep hearing, I guess. Uh, if you want to keep hearing what you just heard, that's probably a lot better way to put that. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, of Twitter, you sorry. Can, you can go to mountainbikeradio.com slash support NBR. Oh, sorry. I so, thought you were done. No, I was trying to like plug you know the network as a whole. Because we just lined our greedy little pockets. <laughs> I wouldn't call them greedy. I um, would. At Fallabama. Fallabama? I don't know. Fallabama. That's what I'm going with. Uh, on Twitter says, at Rickhouse MTV, my friends at the Path Bike Shop said, suck it. Phrasing. And that brings us to... <laughs> Wrapping up, we are going to do a joint dual off show with them at some point. Really? It's in the works. Oh, sweet. So, is well, it going to be like professional wrestling? Like, are we going to fake fight each other? I don't know. We're probably going to make a comment about how big bikes are like not as good as small bikes. Oh, cross country bikes are way better than big bikes. And then everyone's going to get like everyone in California is going to be really offended that we don't want to shred the bra nasty. So I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just starting this shit talking now. Um, That's some of the weakest shit talking I've ever heard. I'm just trying to be polite. <laughs> 
And do you even take drops, bro? Uh, <laughs> sure. You know what? I'll just give them the nice, the nice uh, backhanded southern shit talk and be like, oh, bless their heart. All right. Well, oh, God. Did I push that button a second ago? I did. I knew the continue recording question popped up and I couldn't remember what I pushed. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely smoked. I'm ready to call this done. All right. Does anybody need to add anything? Uh, no. Nope. Tweet to us. Go to the JRA show and, you know, type some stuff. I've been taking show notes left-handed to to keep myself like like active because now you're I'm not really going to be able to read it. I, I I have a good idea of what it says. I, so. Earlier, Matt asked me to bring him a pen for show notes because he was already like plugged in and and ready to record, and I brought him a red pen and he couldn't use it. <laughs> he just like tried to say something. And now he's giving me the bird. Or two. Two. Two of them. I don't have... If I had my phone, I'd take a picture so that it could go in the show notes. So you could remember how much of a jackass you are. Jackass? That's not usually what you say. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by, I don't know, No Trespassing Signs, Kenny Eating Pizza, and something else. Beer? Beer. Um, Until next time, thanks for listening. Enjoy yourselves, um, and I don't know. Have fun. Don't don't trespass, and and I don't know. Just be nice to one another. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm.